0: Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horniman, AKA the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health-related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. All right, so you are a member of Girl Fix Your Thyroid. You're in a very lucky place because we are going to be doing live Q and A's and I'm going to be doing this at least once a month. I want to get your questions because that's what's important to me is the questions that you have. That's what I want to answer. So as a member of Girl Fix Your Thyroid group on Facebook, we're going to put up a post about once a month and you're going to get to put all your questions in and we're going to go through as many as possible today, as many as possible. Here we go. We are just diving in. I just love this. I love getting questions from you guys. And if you're not a member, by the way, and you're on Facebook, just go to Dr. Amy, girl, fix your thyroid and request to join. We have 4,000 members in there right now, and everybody is so amazing. Yes, I'm in there answering your questions, but we have members that maybe they're former patients of mine. Maybe they're just really knowledgeable on the thyroid. And they're in there as well answering your question. So I have a ton of support from my peeps. And then I'm in there as well answering you. All right. So we're just going to start. Renee, you just started Hormone Fixer and would like to know how long until you notice a change. Your testosterone lab number was half of the low end of the range. So that's pretty darn low, Renee. So I'm glad you're on Hormone Fixer the ingredients in Hormone Fixer help to naturally boost a woman's testosterone, and you're also going to get the benefits of the Tonka LD in there, which boosts your growth hormone, balances cortisol, helps improve insulin secretion. It does so much, so much. Lowers sex hormone binding globulin, so you really can't go wrong. Everybody is different, though. So when I'm working with the patient, and let's say we, let's say we come in at, you come in at a total testosterone of if you're really in that lower half of the range, wow, that means you are under 20 because the standard lab value range for a woman's total testosterone is so skewed. And again, men and women, you guys both get absolutely screwed when it comes to the testosterone standard lab value ranges. So for a woman, I have seen some labs, whether it's Quest or LabCorp, You get cut off or flagged high if you're above a 48 in your total testosterone. Now I want you, the bare minimum total testosterone I want you at is 50. When you're looking at the free testosterone and Renee, you didn't say whether this was total or free. So I'm gonna say that it was probably total because that's what most practitioners test. But when we look at the free testosterone for a woman, I want you in the upper half, not the lower half. For your total testosterone, I want you above a 50. Now, where you fall after that is very, very unique to you. I have some women that they say, my total testosterone is 125. Don't you dare drop me lower than that. I have shared my labs and my my Dutch test and my blood labs with you guys before. And my total testosterone is a 300 but there's a lot of unique interplay with having a testosterone that high. My sex hormone binding globulin is also high. My DHT is high. So I'm working on all of those little points and issues and taking my SHBG backslash bedroom fixer. And it's all working just fine because I don't have side effects. I don't have androgenic side effects. I don't have negative side effects. Everything is working very well. So that number seems to be really good for me personally. For another woman, it would cause cystic acne and a clotinus. So we don't want that. We want you at least above a 50. And then after you crest that total testosterone optimal number, then we can kind of find what number is best for you. But it doesn't matter how your doctor is going to address this. Hopefully they are if you're that low but I like pairing Hormone Fixer up with other testosterone replacement therapies such as cream or injectable or trochees. The only thing I try to stay away from is pellets. And that is going to lead us into the next question of from Lisa. My testosterone is a 12. Her SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin is 210. That's very, very high. And for those of you listening, Optimal SHBG is between 60 and 80. Sex hormone binding globulin, let me give you a little bit of a a little side note. Sex hormone binding globulin is like a little train that testosterone, estradiol, and T3 jump on. And they do that to be delivered to the the sites that they need to go to, to be delivered to the cells that that need that particular hormone and that have a receptor site on it for that hormone. If it's below a 60, and really, even if you're coming in at, let's say, 30, 40, 50, you might not be experiencing androgenic side effects. But when your SHBG is, let's say, 20, that's normally correlated with polycystic ovarian syndrome, and that's where a woman will have high androgens and and high androgenic side effects, like I just talked about, the acne, the clotinas, the hair growth. We don't want it too low. We also don't want it too high. Because when it's too high, it is now holding that testosterone estradiol on T3 on the train. And it's not letting it go. It's not letting it off the train to get to the cell to do its job. So what we ultimately want to do is lower SHBG. Now, how do we do that? Well, again, Ali is amazing. I have Ali and boron, two ingredients, to to supplements, to individual ingredients, however you want to say it, that have been proven to lower SHBG. And I have that in my bedroom fixer, formerly known as SHBG fixer, because many of you were like, what the hell is SHBG? So I'm explaining it to you right now and we changed the name. So when you take bedroom fixer, formerly known as SHBG Fixer, it is going to lower your SHBG and you're also going to get the benefits of the Tonkat Ali and the Boron. So Boron strengthens bones. It has a whole host of different benefits that I went over in another podcast. And Tonkat Ali, again, went over this in another podcast. We can link to both of them below. We'll link to the SHBG podcast and we will link to the Tonkat Ali podcast so you can go back and listen to those. But in a nutshell, tons and tons of benefits but it will also help to lower that SHBG. So your testosterone can go do its job. So your T3 doesn't get bound onto a train. So if you're menopausal, your estradiol isn't riding around on the train and you're low estrogen having all those menopausal side effects. We want to lower the SHBG. And also for Lisa, being your testosterone is a 12, we got to get that up too. You're 46 years old that you shared here. And We know that as we start moving into, well, I see low testosterone even in patients in their 30s, but definitely as you move into your 40s, your hormone levels are going to start declining. Now, it is important when we're looking at testosterone, it is important to optimize your thyroid because the thyroid is the master gland has a direct effect down onto the sex hormones. So we will see lower sex hormones when the thyroid gland is off or not working properly or not optimized. But with a testosterone of a 12, yes, you absolutely need testosterone replacement therapy. Now I'm going to keep reading her question. I've been using compounded cream daily for one year now. So this just shows, and I'm kind of breaking this down here, Lisa, this just shows that cream, it's just such a crapshoot as to whether or not it's going to raise a woman's testosterone level. There are so many different factors that come into using cream as a TRT, as a testosterone replacement therapy. Number one, how the compounding pharmacy is actually compounding the cream. What base are they using to, I guess, deliver the testosterone? So maybe that particular base is too thick. Maybe it doesn't penetrate the skin very easily. Maybe you have thick skin that is having difficulty penetrating. Maybe oily skin can actually keep it from penetrating into into your body transdermally. And then we have the factor of How many milligrams were you even on? Maybe it was too low. Were you actually rubbing that cream in for two minutes? And I mean, two minutes. I mean, set a timer. It's going to seem like forever, but you have to rub in hormone creams, two minutes. Make a note of that. Ladies, any cream that goes for progesterone, that goes for estradiol. I don't care what cream it is, two minutes. So that could be why your compounded cream did not work. Multiple reasons but you started with a testosterone of 23 and it actually went down. So that tells me, just like you said, it's obviously not working, right? It's not working. So now that tells me that we have to go a different route. We have to use a different delivery method. So then from cream, we go into injectable or troches. But unfortunately, your doctor wants to do pellets. And that is the only delivery method that I Just don't love it all. In all my years of doing this, and in the thousands of patients I've worked with, I can literally think of maybe two that have said to me, you know, I get the pellets and they work well, and I don't spike super high. I don't feel that drop down low when it's time to change the pellet. I'm good. And I mean, like two out of thousands. The majority of the time, women who have experienced pellet therapy, and I have gone back and looked at their labs as well, we see a super high testosterone level post-insertion. So post-pellate insertion, so post pellet insertion i have seen women come up with testosterone levels of 800, 900, I mean, just astronomically high, basically that of a do. And then as you move along in the months, oh, wait, with that high level of testosterone, usually comes conversion to DHT, dihydrotestosterone. DHT is what causes the male pattern baldness, hair loss, the androgenic side effects. So as testosterone gets that high, what we normally hear from women that get pellets, my hair fell out. So ladies, Lisa, if you are dealing with hair loss already, I do not recommend going the pellet way because of that super physiological spike in testosterone levels. And then the side effects that come with that, not good. The other issue with pellets is as you get closer then to the time to replace the pellet, you tend to drop. So you'll probably be going down the other side, maybe not dropping as low as a 12 like you are right now, but you are going to drop down low. I would weigh your options. I would have a very, very thorough discussion with your practitioner. And remember that pellet therapy is money-making. Listen, I have colleagues out there that do it. I have interviewed people on here that do it. I am not poo-pooing, well, I am poo-pooing it. I'm not poo-pooing them. I get it that as a practitioner, you're spending time with that person. You are doing a procedure. Yeah, you know, the same as getting Botox or fillers injected, you ain't getting that for free, right? You're gonna be paying for the Botox and you're going to be paying the doctor for their time for putting it in your face. Same thing with a pellet, they're just putting it in your butt. But it is a money-making opportunity for practitioners that use pellets. Whereas, listen, when we prescribe cream, injectables, like, here you go. I mean, if it's from a compounding pharmacy, you'll have a copay of what it paid the compounding pharmacy. You're not paying me. You're not paying the prescriber. You're paying the compounding pharmacy. So that is my five cents on testosterone and different delivery methods. So I hope that helps you, Lisa. All right, let's keep going. Miss Molly asks, can you speak to how to improve T4 to T3 conversion. My reverse T3 is functionally normal. Molly, I'm not sure what that means, but I'm going to assume that you mean, since you use the term functional, it's below a 12. But total T3 and free T3 are both below the lab range. Okay. So first of all, Molly, when your reverse T3 is is below a 12 and your total and free are below the lab range, which is geez, really low, because you're actually getting flagged low, the questions I would ask you would be, number one, how long did you go between, well, first of all, what medication and dose are you on? Are you on any kind of T3? Because when reverse, let's say your reverse was high, let's say it was above a 12 and you're on T4 only, then we have to lower the T4 and add in T3, cytomel, lyothyronine, because that will not only help that really low total and free T3, it's also going to help lower the reverse T3. So side note, learning side note, the only thing that converts to reverse T3, reverse T3 is our anti-thyroid hormone. We don't want it high. The optimal value is below a 12. I don't care what's on your standard lab value range. You want your reverse T3 below a 12. When reverse T3 is high, and the only thing that converts to it is T4, we have to lower it because that will put your body into survival mode. Nothing will happen if your reverse T3 is high. Your metabolism shuts down, hair growth stops, constipation happens, energy goes in the tank. We want that reverse T3 below a 12. Now, improving T4 to T3 conversion can absolutely help. And to actually answer your question, Molly, the things that you can do Number one, iodine absolutely helps improve T4 to T3 conversion, proper amounts of iodine, not super high doses where that's how it got a bad reputation in the whole functional world where half of the functional practitioners say, don't take iodine if you have Hashimoto's. I say take it, but take it in like a 12.5 milligram to 25 milligram dose daily and your thyroid will thank you for it and your reverse T3 will go down. And every cell in your body needs iodine. So iodine, magnesium, a little bit of selenium, please don't go overboard on the selenium because that will push up reverse T3 as well. Making sure that you're not estrogen dominant, making sure that your insulin levels are low, using something like blood sugar fixer if you do have high insulin, all of that can help improve T4 to T3 conversion. But the bottom line is you could be doing all of those things. You could be adding in the mag and the iodine and the berberine and your estrogen is perfect and your progesterone perfect and your testosterone is perfect. But if you're not on the right thyroid medication for you, you're on T4 only, you're on a super high dose of T4, you don't have any T3 coming in, maybe that ratio is off. Maybe you have just too much T4 to T3 for your body, then we have to change that up. So, for you, Molly, specifically, I kind of wanted to give that general answer, but you, we don't really have to worry about if your reverse T3 is below 12. We don't have to worry about that. We can kind of set that aside. We still have to address the total and the free T3 being low. And yes, you can improve conversion of that T4 that you're taking to hopefully bump up the free T3 and the total T3, but you can also add in T3. If you do that and hopefully you're working with someone that's knowledgeable then you will improve all the way around. Symptoms and labs will both improve. I'm bouncing around some of these questions because things like parathyroid, I don't really dive into. That is, I know it has thyroid in the title, right? Parathyroid, it's next to your thyroid, it's behind your thyroid gland. And it actually is more involved in calcium regulations and not necessarily a direct impact on the thyroid gland itself. There's some correlation but not a direct correlation. So well let me touch on Don's question. Don, I don't want to I don't want to skip you just because you have parathyroid in your question here. You have Hashimoto's and you had parathyroid surgery. Now when they do the parathyroid surgery, oftentimes they will damage the thyroid and vice versa. So when they are doing a partial thyroidectomy, total thyroidectomy, sometimes the parathyroid gland gets nicked, cut, damaged, And then a person needs to go on calcium because their calcium levels drop and that can have an effect on your cardiovascular system. She also had five lymph nodes and adipose tissue removed from her throat area. And that's a lot of trauma going on right in the thyroid throat area. So Dawn says she has gained 30 pounds since the parathyroid surgery, and she has high evening and night cortisol insomnia, which makes sense. You're going to have insomnia if you have that high, if you're cortisol is spiking in the evening. It's basically going to wake you up because cortisol is supposed to be high in the morning to wake us up. It's waking you up at night, right before bed and your blood sugars have been rising, which is in direct correlation to the high cortisol too, because high cortisol push up blood glucose. So how do you get rid of the weight and the insulin resistance? Well, number one, Dawn, and I'm glad we went over this because there's a lot of answers in here. Number one, because of the parathyroid surgery, I'm wondering what medication and dose you're on for your Hashimoto's because that right after that surgery, you gained the 30 pounds. I'm wondering if they didn't damage your thyroid a little bit more than it already is with your Hashimoto's. I'm also wondering if you're even on any kind of T3 whatsoever. I'm wondering what your numbers are. And to directly address, because you know that your blood sugar is high, so thus you know, as you stated in your question, you're gaining weight and you're probably insulin resistant or you are insulin resistant, I would absolutely 100% start on berberine because that's at least going to balance out your blood sugar and bring down your insulin levels. Now for the nighttime cortisol, that's where I recommend phosphatidylserine. That's a really good one for nighttime to kind of bring that down, adding in a little bit of GABA, which is a calming hormone. Hopefully you're getting all of your hormones tested, maybe a little bit of progesterone in there also is progesterone is the calming hormone. So does it have a direct impact on cortisol? No, but it does help to lower cortisol because it does relaxes everything. It's very, very calming. So it's going to help with your insomnia at night before bed too, along with magnesium. So I would stack, I would do a big stack right before bed. And then I would absolutely add in berberine. I would add in thyroid fixer. And I would know your thyroid labs, your free T3, your total T3, your reverse T3, and then come back into the group and post those labs and tell us what med and dose you're on too, because that can play a role in terms of this weight that you're having. And remember that the thyroid gland is the master gland and it's controlling your insulin and your cortisol. So if that is off, which it sounds like it is, we need a little bit more information. And then when we optimize your thyroid, it has that downstream effect on your insulin and your cortisol. Okay. Best plan to quickly get back on track after the holidays. This is from Lori. My mother-in-law is visiting from Israel. She lives to cook and only wants to feed her family. It's been four years since we last saw her. So I've completely come off the rails eating gluten, homemade bread, special treats from Israel, tons of rice and meat. Ah, yeah, girl, I hear ya. Well, I just did a podcast on that so you can go back and listen to it. But in a nutshell, what I like to do, because I'm in the same boat as you, no mother-in-law from Israel, I just ate, ate a ton of gluten and the bread and the sugar and the alcohol and my circadian rhythm is all off because of New Year's and ugh, all of that. So get good sleep. So get your ass to bed by 10 p.m. every single night this week and make sure that you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep. And you can go back to the last question, Dawn's question, where we went over her high cortisol at night, stacking things like magnesium and maybe a little bit of melatonin and maybe a little bit of GABA and progesterone and making sure your cortisol isn't high. And I get good sleep because then that will reset not only your circadian rhythm, but it's also going to help with your glucose levels. Whenever we consume a lot of, sugars and processed foods, our blood sugar and our insulin are going to go high. And where there's a high, there's an equal and opposite low. So what we're essentially doing through the holidays is sending our bodies on a roller coaster. We're going super high, and then we're dropping low, and then we're going high, and then we're dropping low. In those highs, when we spike high, that's where we gain the weight. And in the lows, that's where you're hangry, and that's where you're craving. So it's it's difficult post-holiday to get a hold of those cravings because we've been doing this up and down roller coaster for so long. So we enter into this post-holiday season still craving all the crap. There's a level of cold turkey that we have to go get everything out of your house. Get it out. If it's there, you're going to eat it. If it's there, you're going to pick at it. I don't care if your grandma brought five of her best Christmas cookies over, or in your case, your mother-in-law cooked all kinds of shit from Israel, get it out of the house because if it's there, you're going to eat it. Then we want to get good sleep. We want to basically focus on protein, focus on protein and fats. Even if it's for, let's say the next five to seven days where you kind of do a, a mini- We'll say carnivore reset. Now, I don't want emails saying, well, I heard that carnivore was bad. And who can be on that forever? I'm not saying forever. I actually do like carnivore. Haven't gone down that rabbit hole myself. Haven't had to. But for those wanting kind of some, not fast weight loss, but more intense de-inflammation of your body, is that a word, de-inflammation? Can we reduce the inflammation in our bodies, thus letting our bodies tap into its own fat stores for fuel? balancing out that blood sugar and insulin. Yes. So maybe do a 5 to 7 day carnivore reset where you are literally focusing on eating protein and fat and maybe a little bit of dark chocolate to just satisfy that that sweet tooth that's going to still be lingering. You want to use berberine to balance out your your blood sugar and your insulin. So add in some blood sugar fixer, drink a crap ton of water. That's going to help as well. I know it's very very difficult to get back on track after the holidays, but just diving in and really cleaning house, spring cleaning, get everything out, get the protein and the fats in, snack on that all day long. Don't worry about your calories. Just dive into proteins and fats because that's going to satiate you and it's going to balance out your blood sugar and your insulin. But I feel for you, girl. And again, we have a podcast that I just did last week because I knew this would be a question and I was experiencing it myself. So you can go back and listen to that. Okay, keep going, keep going. Sarah, what are your best fixer supplements to start with? Can we take more than one at a time? Should we spread them out through the day? Of course you can take more than one at a time. They are made just like any supplement line. It's made to be paired up. So it can be paired up with other supplements that you're taking like vitamin D, all of that. It can be paired up with, the fixer supplements can be paired up with each other. So a really nice nice weight loss stack is... Going to be thyroid fixer, blood sugar fixer, liver fixer, and the sleep and burn. So when we support our liver, oh, that would be another really good answer for Lori's question of post-holiday reset. We've just pounded our liver with alcohol and sugar and processed foods and all kinds of crap. Clean out the liver, support the liver. That will help your metabolism. The sleep and burn absolutely helps with deeper sleep. It helps to burn fat while you sleep and it decreases inflammation. So that's going to be a really good one for you too, Lori, kind of coming back to your mother-in-law from Israel, add in that sleep and burn to get nice deep sleep and to be decreasing that inflammation that occurred because of choices of what we put into our mouths. Again, not judging right there with you. Thyroid fixer obviously increases your basal metabolic rate. And then blood sugar fixer, like we talked about balancing out that blood sugar and your insulin. So those are ones just kind of as a as a side note there, Sarah, that you can absolutely start with. It just kind of all depends on what your your target is, your goal is. Hashimoto's stack would be thyroid fixer, the thyroid multi, blood sugar fixer, and hormone fixer. So it all kind of depends on, yes, they do go together. What are your goals? So you want to kind of really narrow down what your goals are and use targeted supplementation for that. I am actually very frugal when it comes to supplements. So even when I'm working one-on-one with patients, I tell them I am not going to load you down. And so many of them come in with bags of supplements and half of them, they don't even know why they're taking it. I will ask them, why are you on this? And why are you on that? They're like, I don't know. I read it on a forum or my doctor told me to start it, or I thought it was good. You want to know why you're taking a supplement. You want to look at what it is doing to your body. Like, what markers can you look for? Now, there's no supplement in the world that you're going to get an immediate return. I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to be taking a thyroid fixer for two weeks and lose a crap ton of weight. It's not going to happen. People will notice an increase in energy. People will notice. And just an improvement in how their clothes fit a little bit, but it's not like the scale is going to drop 10 pounds in a couple of weeks. But what you will see over time, like we had somebody write in and say, I've been taking thyroid fixer for six months and now I am down a full pant size. I'm in the old pants that I used to wear down a full size. My other clothes are loose on me. So she was very, very consistent and saw results. We will hear sometimes within two months, people are like, yeah, I lost eight pounds in two months. Absolutely. From thyroid fixer but you want to give all the supplements time and you want to make sure that you're addressing all the other factors too that you need to address for your health. All right, this one's a good one. Heather, how can one begin to take results and piece them into a bigger picture? I've had loads of tests researched nonstop since 2011. I know what things mean, but piecing things together in a bigger picture, bigger root cause, what to address first, I'm lost. Absolutely nothing has worked. Seen so many providers. I know, I know. So Heather, a lot of providers out there, and you know that I have podcasts on this too. A lot of functional providers out there will claim to know how to treat thyroid and hormones or will claim that they can heal your Hashimoto's and put it into remission and do it all naturally and blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is, We want to get you optimized and eliminate your symptoms. Now, you did not provide your results, but I have a feeling if you have loads of tests since 2011 and you're looking for that bigger picture root cause, there would be too much to go through here. What I would tell you is to do a spreadsheet. And then that way you can see a trend of, I hate spreadsheets, by the way. So if you hate them, have somebody do it for you. You can see the trend through the years. Now, if you go back to 2011, you're not the same person as you were back then. So looking at your labs from, let's say the last six months is a bit more accurate. It's gonna give you a lot more targeted direction for what to do with you, right? If it's adding in hormone replacement therapy, because again, I mean, 2011 till now, A lot of hormones have shifted. You've gotten older. Maybe you're in menopause. Maybe you're in perimenopause, right? So maybe right now, as compared to 2011, you need hormone replacement therapy. Maybe your thyroid has gone downhill. Maybe you look back to 2011 and you see that you had Epstein-Barr virus, but as you're looking through the years, provided a practitioner has tested you, you'll see that there are points of time where it became active instead of being dormant in its dormant state. And by the way, most of us have EBV. I saw another question in the group. It's not in in this particular thread, but there's another question in the group by somebody asking about Epstein-Barr virus and how to treat it. And actually antivirals are not that effective. They can help when someone is in an active EBV state. But if you're in a dormant EBV state, I recommend Monolaurin. I carry that on my store and it is fantastic at lowering that viral load. It acts like an antibiotic antiviral without the negative consequences to your gut flora. So I would add something like that in if, if there was Epstein-Barr virus present. But Heather, it's it's hard to say what to do with you except for put it into a, a spreadsheet and then take a look at your overall trends through the years. But really look at the last six months to a year because that's what's going to tell you what you need to do right now. I've talked about this in the past and it's worth saying again, yeah, root cause is great and all, but unless you treat the person and who they are, you can be treating the root cause all day long. So let's say the root cause is EBV. It's a huge root cause to Hashimoto's. Or let's say your root cause is your gut. Your gut is just so far off. You got H. pylori, dysbiosis, and some candida thrown in. Good mix, right? So yes, we want to work on your gut because that candida can produce all kinds of symptoms, a ton of inflammation, and totally mask. And you might be sitting here thinking, my thyroid's off. I got a weight gain and carbon sugar cravings and I'm insulin resistant. Might be the candida. But are we going to just treat the candida? And we're not going to pay any attention to your thyroid hormones. No, we're going to do both at the same time. So Heather, it's hard for me to say what your next steps are in terms of finding the root cause that you want to find. But my goal for you would be to get you out of misery, reduce your symptoms and optimize your labs. And then we can kind of dig through and look for that root cause and address it. While at the same time addressing what we see here and now, your labs right now, and what's been going on in your body for the last six months. Miss Laura asks, how can timing of thyroid meds and thyroid fixer supplement affect the efficacy of these meds? What happens physiologically when they are taken at the right time during the day or the wrong time? Ooh, interesting way of putting this. So we've talked about this before, but let's talk about it again. You want to take thyroid fixer even though it is T2 it is a thyroid hormone you want to take it apart from your thyroid medication because i want you ultimately to have the best effect and i want your thyroid medication to be absorbed and then you get the benefit of thyroid fixer as well in general when we're looking at a supplement it comes in a either a vegetarian gel based capsule for delivery Just like my LDN, my low-dose naltrexone comes in a little capsule because it was compounded. I don't take my LDN with my thyroid medication because I just want to take my thyroid medication alone. I want my body to just utilize that and that only because that's the most important thing during the day. Then even a half an hour later, once that thyroid med gets into your stomach and starts breaking down, or maybe you dissolve it and do it sublingually under your tongue, Once that starts breaking down, then you can add in other supplements. So then you can add in Thyroid Fixer or anything else at that time. Nothing really physiologically can happen when you're taking at the the right time of the day, except everything just kind of aligns, right? The wrong time of the day, I took Thyroid Fixer last week, a little bit later in the day because I had it in my little little supplement bowl and I grabbed it and I took it maybe at 4 p.m., I had a very hard time getting to sleep at night because it does increase your energy. It's not a stimulant. It's not that I felt like I drank a bunch of coffee, but I definitely had difficulty getting into that rest and relaxed state at night before bed. And I don't think I went to bed until maybe midnight or one that time, which again is throwing off my circadian rhythm that I talked about earlier, in addition to the processed foods and the gluten and the sugar. Great combination. What happens when you take it at the right time of the day is that you just feel better. Your energy's up, your metabolism is up. Hopefully you're on the right thyroid medication too. So all of that works beautifully together. If you take it at the wrong time of the day, you might just notice like I do that your energy increases and oops, it might affect your sleep a little bit. Hopefully that answers your question, Ms. Laura. Optimal range, this is from Arden. What is the optimal range for... Estrogen and progesterone or the ratio, I'm sorry, the ratio for estrogen to progesterone in serum via blood. Okay, this is a question that comes up often. And while there is an in general answer, it becomes very tailored to you as a woman. So in general, I don't want your estrogen to be any more than 20 times greater than your progesterone. But, dot, 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 there are exceptions. If you're on oral progesterone, that doesn't get picked up by serum very well. It does, but we're probably not going to see the most accurate number when testing progesterone via serum when you take progesterone orally as we would, if we tested you with a Dutch test, then we would most likely see that progesterone be in that really nice like mid to upper range. So if you come back with a low serum progesterone, does that necessarily mean, oh my gosh, you're estrogen dominant? Maybe, maybe not. Depends how high that estrogen is. So let me give you an example. Let's say your progesterone comes in at, will just use a flat number of 10. But your estrogen, and I have seen this in a patient, your estrogen, your total estrogens are coming back at 600. Your estradiol is 450. Yeah, that's estrogen dominance right there. Not only is it way outside of that one to 20 ratio, but the estrogen themselves, the total estrogen, the estradiol, and I even saw this person's estrone flagged high. I mean, red. Flagged high at no point of time should your estrogens be your total estrogen or your estradiol be that high, much less your estrogen be that high. So, that is a perfect example of estrogen dominance. That's where we use estrogen fixer, we use calcium deglucerates, we get all estrogenic things out of a person's life. So, the plastic water bottles, the bath and body works lotion that you're using all of those xeno-fake estrogens, gone. And then we use progesterone and we use the estrogen fixer and we use calcium deglugor to lower the estrogen. If someone's coming in with an estrogen of 10 and you're a cycling woman, say you're 35, regular cycles. And in your if you test properly and you're doing days 19 to 22, And we see your progesterone again coming in at a 10 and your total estrogens are coming in at 250. Am I going to freak out and call you estrogen dominant? No. No, everything is aligned. Everything is good. If you come in with a progesterone of less than 0.5 and your estradiol, your total estrogens are 250, 300, that's estrogen dominance. So you can see where you have to look at each Situation, each person, are they cycling? What's their age? Are they taking bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? What are they taking? Ooh, what if you're on synthetic? What if you're on birth control? That's gonna screw up your numbers completely. And you most likely will be estrogen dominant. What if you have an IUD in? That's gonna push you into most likely estrogen dominance, progesterone deficiency. So it's very, very unique to each individual. Hopefully that answers your question, Ms. Arden. Okay. Tanya says, I'm on armor thyroid through my hormonal doctor. I also received testosterone and estrogen pellets. My recent labs, TSH is 0.22. Free T3 is 4.0. Free T4 is 1.2. My hormone doctor said these numbers are perfect. So here's the thing, Tanya, You don't have, well, we don't have the ranges, number one. So we need the ranges and you don't have reverse T3. So right now you are on 30 milligrams of armor in the morning, 15 milligrams in the afternoon, and you're very conflicted, right? So you are still experiencing a little bit of anxiety, Yes, that can be from the pellets because you're jacking up your testosterone and your estrogen. You're on an estrogen pellet too, which can put you into that state of estrogen dominance. But you really need that reverse T3 because without the reverse T3, we don't know whether you are properly converting the T4 in the armor over into free T3. Now, it seems like your free T3 is good, but the reason why I ask for the range, and this is this is vital, no matter who you are, where you're listening, if you are posting a question in any group and expecting an answer for your thyroid labs, post the ranges. Because I have seen free T3 ranges change from lab to lab even within the United States. So you might think, oh, wait a minute, aren't you talking about the labs from Australia versus US? No. In the United States, most free T3 labs will go to a four, 4.2, maybe 4.5, something like that. But I have seen some where someone comes back with a free T4 before, and we go, oh yeah, that's awesome. And then when you look at the lab and the free T3 lab range goes all the way up to a six. Now that's not so awesome. Now that that 4.0 is not that great because it's in the lower quadrant of the range or the lower half of the range. So you absolutely need the ranges and you need to know your reverse T3. Whenever you are on T4 of any kind, I don't care if you're on 25 micrograms of Levo. I don't care if you're on a tiny, tiny dose of armor. 30 and 15 of armor will rarely cause anyone to go hyper- So yeah, I know your endocrinologist is freaking out over the TSH being 0.22. I have totally separate full podcasts on doctors freaking out over a low TSH and why you don't need to worry about that. But for this purpose, I'm going to say it's very, 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 very rare that I will see someone optimize on 30 and 15 of armor, nor will I see someone go into hyper on 30 and 15 of armor. It's a lot of T4. It's just the itty bitty bitty bit of T3. So chances are you're not going hyper, but we need to know your reverse T3 because going back to what we said in the beginning, the only thing that converts to reverse T3 is T4. And in any kind of natural desiccated thyroid medication, armor, NP, you are getting 80% of that is T4. 80% is T4, only 20% is T3 roughly. Amy says, how do thyroid meds affect blood pressure? Thyroid meds, so one of the vitals we have sometimes we'll have you take your vitals when you start on thyroid medication. So that's your blood pressure, your resting heart rate and your basal body temperature. First thing in the morning, before you even sit upright, before you take your thyroid medication, When you open your eyes, you take these because what we want to see is that blood pressure go up. Now, when you're taking something with T3 in it, you might get a little bit of a boost in blood pressure. You might get a little of a BP high. But most of the time, if you are hypo low and slow and you're in that hypo state, your blood pressure will remain low. And then when we start adding in thyroid medication, that should actually come up and normalize. Now, since the thyroid is the master gland if someone happens to have high blood pressure coming into treatment and we start treating them, sometimes it will normalize. Sometimes they can reduce their their blood pressure medication. Sometimes they can reduce the BP medication dose and sometimes they can eliminate it altogether. But sometimes you have to go up in your dose because as we're treating your thyroid, and you already have high BP, but you're probably on a medication, the Cinepril or something, you might actually have to increase your dose slightly because you're going to feel that blood pressure increase with the T3. Now we want the benefit of it. We want the benefit of the T3 coming in. We don't want to give that up. So let's just address the high blood pressure. Is it is it genetic? Are you doing good things with your diet and exercise? Is your thyroid optimized? Once we check all of those boxes, then chances are if you do have high blood pressure and you're on a blood pressure medication, you'll be able to reduce or come off. If it's genetic, sometimes you might have to keep a little bit in, but let's get your thyroid optimized first. Then we can weed out different things that we can do to actually lower your blood pressure. Meg says, can my gut be an issue with thyroid medication absorption? Ah, yes, that's a very, very good one. Very good one. Yes, I usually see this with the gut being an issue with thyroid labs or medication absorption when it comes to people that are very, very sensitive to T3. Now, sometimes we will see it as well in people that we keep loading on the thyroid, we keep increasing their thyroid, med, increasing the T3, increase, increase, and their numbers stay really low. And it's weird, it's like, ha. Huh. How are these numbers so low and the person is not getting better? Is there an absorption issue? So if that's the case, what I'll have people do is what we talked about earlier, chew it, put it under your tongue, put it in the side of your mouth, deliver it sublingually, mucosally to see if that doesn't increase the absorption, actually move the numbers, especially when something might be going on with their gut. And then at the same time, we focus on the gut And make sure that a person, especially if they're Hashimoto's, is taking betaine hydrochloric acid for digestion, maybe taking some digestive enzymes to help break down their food, doing things like healing their gut with bone broth and collagen and berberine and L-glutamine. Maybe you go so far as to get a GI map test to really see the breakdown of what's going on in your gut. Do you have H. pylori? Do you have candida? Do you have an imbalance of good and bad bacteria? When you get that picture of your gut and you start chipping away at it, normally the absorption issues kind of clear out. But if there are major, major absorption issues and it might take three to six months to heal, if you're killing H. pylori, if you're healing candida, if you're balancing the gut flora, Then at that same time, I might have someone, a patient, take their thyroid medication orally, sublingually, chew it so that it doesn't necessarily have to pass through the GI tract, get broken down and absorbed in an already dysbiotic, messed up gut. All right, Meg, hopefully that answers your question. Tiffany, you're saying several of my levels are consistently flagged low. Fasting glucose, iodine, free T3, free T4, reverse T3 and TSH. I'm on T3 meds only, totally understand that girl. YS 30 micrograms daily. I take thyroid fixer as well. I'm 100% gluten-free, work out six days a week, eat clean, my weight won't budge. My hair is falling out. I have facial puffiness and retain water. What can I do to improve my levels and my symptoms? So tip, okay, first of all, Yeah, low fasting glucose, but we really want to know your insulin and your A1C because that's going to be a better marker of insulin resistance. Glucose can lie. Glucose might be down. Maybe you're reactive hypoglycemic. So you might have a glucose of 70, but then we test your A1C and it's like, holy cow, it's a 5.8, right? So you do have that insulin resistant component where you're going high and then dropping low. If your free T3 is low, my question would be, how long are you going between your last dose of thyroid medication and your labs? 30 micrograms of lyothyronine is okay, but I would split it up. I would split dose that 15 and 15 and recognize that you might need an increase in that, especially if your free T3 is low. So if you're testing 18 hours from taking your last dose of T3 and your free T3 is still low, you're going to need an increase. Your free T4 and reverse T3 and TSH will all be low. That's totally normal. Set that aside. You're on T3 only, girl. You're not going to have a high reverse T3. You're not going to have T4, and naturally, your TSH is going to drop. Any amount of T3 is going to plummet that TSH. Don't worry about that. If your iodine is low, start taking iodine. I recommend the Acelodyne that's on my store. It's Sarabantha's. Love her to death. Love that iodine. Just start taking iodine. After you start taking it, if you retest it, it's going to be high. So don't even bother retesting it. Methionine, I take thyroid fixer daily. Okay. So you're doing all the things I think for you. It's going to be check your insulin, possibly increase the T3, and then insulin, T3, and check your hormones too. Check your hormones. We definitely need to do that. How long to take blood sugar fix or do we need to take a break from it? Carol, I saw this question. I think you or somebody else asked it earlier in the Girl Fix Your Thyroid group. Basically, I keep taking it. I have been taking berberine for... A long time, a long time. Because decades ago, I have PCOS, had PCOS. I don't know, can you still have it if you're 48? Had, have PCOS. So I am always going to lean to the side of insulin resistance, even though my thyroid's optimized. I'm gonna take it forever. I'm gonna take it as long as I need to take it. I'm gonna take it maybe instead of taking it twice a day, because with blood sugar fixer, you only need to take it twice a day because it's 600 milligrams per capsule as opposed to other brands that are 400. I never remember to take it three times a day. So I take it twice a day. And then as I'm getting, let's say more optimized, maybe I'll bump it down to once a day. And then let's say through the holidays, I bumped it up to twice a day. So I always keep it in for maintenance. All right, guys, that is it. Thank you so much for your questions. I appreciate them tremendously and please Join the Girl Fix Your Thyroid Facebook group because that's where you're going to get all of your questions answered. And it's a fantastic group. So this has been a lot of fun and I will see you guys in the group. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, you can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right. I hope to see you soon.